Good morning, church. My name is Jeremy Hetzel, and I am the Director of Student Ministries here at Family of Christ. And today we are continuing our series in James. So, if you remember way back in April, I told you that I like baseball. So I thought with the season now starting to wind down, this is the last month of the regular season, I thought I would show you a picture of a, a player... I thought I'd show you a picture of a player that may not have been the greatest player ever, but did play, um, and I'd like you to try to guess who this player is. So look at the picture. Riley? Someone guessed Riley. Brooks Robinson. No. Any other guesses? Babe Ruth. When, babe, when the babe played, there was color pictures. So it's really kind of cool. No, no. This is me, y'all. Isn't that amazing? That's me. And I still, I still have the form pretty good. I don't know if I'd hit anything, but... So I show you this picture because I have a story I want to tell about a time when I was playing baseball. So, absolutely loved baseball, and there was one season that I was one of the, of the two best players on the team. <clears throat> Our team was not very good. <laughs> they had me pitch, and I think they had me pitch because I could throw straight, um, but it was pretty much not real fast. This was what you might call a meatball pitcher, so I remember there was this one kid who hit it out of the park and broke a windshield on a pitch I threw. And, sorry. Um, so we only made it, I think we were like fifth or sixth that year. Like, we just didn't have a really good team. Um, the other good player on my team was my brother John. My brother Josh was on the team too. Um, but John and me were probably the best too. So... <clears throat> We were like the 12-year-old team. There's a 13-year-old team in the league above us. That 13-year-old team goes to state. We did not go to state. Now, this team that's above us, sometimes the 13-year-old team needs to draft a player from the 12-year-old team because they have someone that's injured. Or maybe they have someone gone and just can't play. So they can draft from a younger team. So this team that is above my team needs to draft a player. Who did they pick? Did they pick my brother John? No. They picked me. So, I feel pretty good about that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm playing with the 13-year-olds. And the first game, I start. They, like, put me in. My first at bat, I hit a triple. Now, for anyone who doesn't know anything about baseball, that's you get to third base. So I'm, like, 90 feet from home. I'm going to score a run. And I did. I, play, I played second base. I fielded some grounders through to first. Like, I was in the zone. I walked around that day, kind of like this. Uh, I'm good. The 12-year-old league can't handle me. 
The 13-year-old can't handle me. The kids that are pitching at state can't handle me. <laughs> I'm good. So I kind of walked around like that. And I remember my mom saying, honey, um, pride cometh before the fall. And I said, that sounds like scripture, mom. I'll look it up later. So, second game, maybe that same day, maybe the next day, I don't remember. Uh, I struck out twice. Um, I think a ball went in between my legs at second base. Um, third game, I think I had a walk, but struck out a couple more times. Um, I think I dropped a pop-up. And the next game, they didn't play me. The next game, they didn't play me. And then we were out. And I think we lost because they didn't play me the last two games. <laughs> Not true. So <clears throat> I tell that whole story to say that was really my first time that I learned how destructive pride can be. How destructive pride can be and instead how God calls us to live. God calls us to live with humility. So <clears throat> I imagine my mom probably said something like that. Um, humility, why don't you be a little humble, son? And I was homeschooled, so I probably didn't understand it. Um, that's a slam on myself. Um, so humility, a modest or low view of one's own importance, not thinking of oneself more highly than you ought. Well, I was thinking of myself pretty darn highly, and God reminded me that I was not Babe Ruth. Okay? So we're going to read out of James today. And we're going to study humility and find out what God has to say about humility. So if you go to James chapter 4, we're going to read verses 6 through 12. Starting at verse 6, chapter 4. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law... You're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So as I was, as I was studying this text this week, I thought of three different ways that God calls us to foster humility in our lives. How can we grow humility so we do not live pridefully, but live humbly? So the first is we must relinquish authority. We must relinquish authority. Now, what authority do we have? Most of the time we look at ourselves and we maybe think we have some. Maybe, oh, I control my own life. I control my own destiny. Sometimes we think that way. I'd like us to read out of Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, because there's a story there about someone who was in authority who gave it away. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Luke 7, 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. 
There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent his elders, sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This story is a great picture of what it means to submit yourself to someone else who is in authority over you. Jesus was just an itinerant preacher. He walked around and taught people. He had no authority in the authority structure of Israel or Rome. And yet this centurion, who easily could go and walk and talk to anyone and say, do this or do that, command them to do whatever he wanted, he submitted himself to Jesus. And we are called to do the same. We need to recognize our place in the chain of command. And we are not top. We're probably not even second if you're married. If you're, if you're a kid living at home, you're not even third. We answer to God. We answer to him first. He is in command. And so we need to relinquish the authority that we think we have. Because when we let go of something that we don't have anyway, when we let it go, God reminds us of our place. And that helps bring humility. And James talks about this from our text in verse 7. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Submit yourselves to God. If you want humility to grow in your life, then you can't be number one. You've got to submit your life to God and then be obedient to whatever he calls you to. The joyful things, the hard things. Submit to God. Know your place of authority. All right, so if we want to foster humility in our lives, first, we relinquish authority. Second, we recognize our own sin. James speaks about this, starting at verse 8 and going through 10. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Does anyone want to do that? I mean, like, this is a super exciting, exciting verse for us. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
That's not normally something we want to sign up for. It's not something that we want to say, yes, that sounds like a fun theme park. No, that sounds hard and painful. Let's go back to Luke chapter 22. We're going to read a story of someone who recognized their sin. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. Then seizing him, him being Jesus, they led Jesus away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, today you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. If we want to grow humility in our lives, we have got to recognize our own sin. Jesus looked at Peter and was reminding Peter, and Peter felt it tough on his chest, how he had disappointed God. It is very easy to live a prideful life if you think you don't sin, or if you think you've taken care of a lot of your sin. Ah, I'm really good now. Like, oh my gosh, like 10 years ago, dude, you didn't want to meet me. But now, smooth sailing, I'm in a good, I'm in a good spot. Don't ever get there. Recognize your sin. God's going to peel it slowly like an onion and he will reveal it to you regularly. Be patient and let him see it and recognize it. And then when his word cuts you to the quick, then grieve and mourn and repent and say, Lord, please make me different. I do not want to live this way anymore. But you got to depend on him to bring the change. So if we want to foster humility in our lives, we have got to relinquish authority and we've got to recognize our own sin. Third, we need to embrace the sinner-saint paradox. Have you guys ever heard this before? The sinner-saint paradox? We are a sinner saint at exactly the same time. And in our brains, we like to normally say, well, right now I'm acting like a sinner, but when I love Jesus well, I'm acting like a saint. We are both all of the time. Even when you are at your best, there are moments when you're sinning, when you're depending on yourself, when you're not listening to others, when you're not loving and serving those around you. And even when you're at your worst, you go, oh my gosh, I do not want anyone to ever know that. 
I don't want anyone to know that I struggled with that or I made that choice. When you're there, you're covered by his blood. You're a saint. We are both at the same time. And it's super important to remember that because if we don't, it's very easy to look down on others. If you will look at James chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? All too often, when we forget that we are a sinner and we just feel like we're a saint, we will look down on our brothers and sisters. And God calls us not to do that. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. It's kind of interesting this week that all of our stories are out of Luke. Luke 18, starting at verse 9 through 14. Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, sounds like pride, and looked down on everybody else, also sounds like pride, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You had a man who was a religious leader, who knew the law, was supposed to know what love was, was supposed to be able to follow it, and instead condemned a sinner. And not even just a sinner that was living rampantly, sinfully, was condemning someone who was cut to the quick. The pride in that Pharisee's heart and I recognize that there's times that we are that Pharisee where we go, I'm not as bad as them. And we point the finger and we compare ourselves to other brothers and sisters instead of comparing ourselves to God. Because when we compare ourselves to God, we always lose. And that's humbling. And that's good. I would like to take a moment to pray now because I recognize that even as we're sitting here talking about this, we can so easily justify ourselves to make us feel good that we can go, huh, I mean, this is a good message, Jeremy, but it's not for me. I can imagine if I was sitting out there, I'd be thinking something like, man, praise God that God helped me lick my pride way back when I was 12, when I was playing baseball. Like, took it out of me then, I mean, now I'm pretty humble. Like, God's, 
God's blessed me with being humble. So I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty humble guy. Thanks, God, for making me humble. I just, all the rest of these people, man, God help them. But I just fell into it. You see how easy that is? Where we just think so highly of ourselves? So what I'd like to do right now is take a moment to pray and lead us through just a couple different prayers of areas where we might be prideful. And I pray that if there's an area that God wants to remind you that you were a sinner or remind you that you need something repaired or fixed in your life, that he'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now and we ask that you would be with us. Lord, we are so thankful for the many ways that you have gifted us and talented us where you use us to bless your kingdom and the world. But Lord, we need your help. All too often, we fall into pride. Lord, we look down on family members, people in our own family that we hold bitterness against or anger toward. Lord, help us to forgive and remember that our brothers and sisters, family or coworkers, they love you and they are your child. Lord, help us remember that we are no better than them. And Lord, for the moments when we don't trust you, when we want to take back control, when we think that we are the authority and that we can tell you what needs to happen, Lord, forgive us. Help us to sit at your feet and let you work through us. Lord, may we submit to you And Lord, for the areas of our life where we may feel like we are in a really good spot, Lord, thank you for the transformation and the work that you have done in our hearts and our minds. But Lord, help us not rest there. Help us regularly to see our sin. Help us to see it so we can repent of it. Lord, if there's an area in our life of unconfessed sin that we may not even recognize, I ask that you would help us to see it, that you would humble us, help us repent so that we could walk with you. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right, before we wrap up, I have a slide I want to show that shows the difference between pride and humility. And so I kind of want to walk through that right now. Pride focuses on others' failures, while humility realizes how far they fall short and have overwhelming sense of their need to grow. When you're full of pride, you're self-righteous, overly critical, and fault-finding. When you're full of humility, you're compassionate and forgiving, and you look for the best in others. When you're full of pride, you look at your life through a telescope, but others through a microscope. While as when you're full of humility, you seek to win people, not arguments. When you're full of pride, You look down on those who aren't as spiritual or committed as you are. When you're full of humility, you realize that only God knows a person's true motives. When you're full of pride, you think you know who's truly proud and truly humble. When you're full of humility, you leave the judgment of others in the heart, the judgment of others' hearts in God's hands. And when you're full of pride, you think everyone is privileged to have you involved. When you're full of humility, you think that you don't even deserve the opportunities that God gives. May we be a people who are full of humility, who are servants to all, 
who die to self, our family, our coworkers, our boss, our friends, our neighbors. May we love them like Christ calls us to. May we follow Jesus' example. Philippians chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 3. Philippians 2, starting at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By his spirit, may we be empowered to live a life like that, who looks for the interests of others first, that dies to self and serves those around us. Because when we do that, when his light shines through us in that way, then we love the people around us well, and those who don't know Jesus can come to know him. Amen.